Hi friends, this is Jeff. Thank you for tuning in to the Unchained Gospel Podcast, where we let the lion out of its cage in order to set the captives free from theirs. The reason for this opening message is to let you know that the audio that you're about to hear was recorded at a very poor quality, and I wanted to apologize in advance for that. The following is part one of a three-part series entitled Walk This Way, Three Studies on the Christian Walk, and we'll be looking exclusively at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16 on this episode. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So, if you guys remember when we talked about this line I was sharing last time about how Paul was in prison, and how he used the opportunities that he had, even when he was shackled in Rome, to write the epistles to the Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Um, and Paul starts off right here. We, we look at it, if you're familiar with the book of Ephesians, it's kind of broken right down the middle. The first three chapters are talking about our, our standing in Christ, or actually we're seated in the heavenlies with Christ and gospel. Everything that God has done for us, he lays it out in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Chapter 1, he talks about how we've been foreknown. God knows, has known us from before the foundation of the world, so he's called us. He's put a calling on each of our lives. We get to be accepted because of what Jesus did on the cross. He's given us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee or as a deposit that he will redeem us uh, from our, you know, our mortal bodies and give us a glorious body. Chapter 2, he goes on and says, he continues to say how it's a gift that nothing we do can get salvation. It's only what God has done for us. And because of that, and the, and the, the rift between the Jewish Christians, who thought they were now completed Christians, and that's what God only really cared about. Uh, now the, Jew, the Gentiles are getting saved, and he continues on and says, no, you see, God always intended, and he talks about this in chapter 3, from even the Old Testament, God was pointing to Jews and Gentiles being united as one church, uh, even though the Jews were his chosen people. If you read chapter 3, it's like 14, I think it's like 14 verses of side tangent that, he, that Paul does. He starts in like two verses, and then he, it's one of those Paul commas that goes on for 14 verses. And then he's like, oh yeah, and, I, and then he moves back around. But he talks about the mystery revealed that from before time again, God always wanted all people to come and to find be unified on his son. Um, so he continues and shifts gears from chapter three, one to chapters one, two, and three, talking about what God has done for us and how we can do nothing to get us to the position that he's called us to be in. It's totally his doing. Now he says, in light of that, how should we live? How then shall we live? Uh, Watchman Nee, he's a, a great man of faith that lived at the turn of the century, and uh, he has a commentary on the book of Ephesians called Sit, Walk, Stand. And uh, it breaks the book up into those sections, the first three chapters being how we are seated in Christ. And we, can't do, we just sit and we receive all the blessings, undeservedly, all by His grace. And then it transitions into walking. How do we live our lives as Christians on the earth? And then obviously in chapter 6, with Chris did when the church first started, and that's exciting to think about. That was, it seems like almost so long ago. Um, was talking about standing in the midst of the battle. Uh, and, you know, when we look at what we're going to talk about tonight, we'll see it's important that unification 
of the Spirit is what enables us to stand against the, the warfare and the attacks that come from outside of the church. Because there's tons of stuff that comes against the church from the outside. The last thing we want is for us to be unraveling from the inside. And that's why the unity of the Spirit is so important. So, um, if we look, um, A.W. Tozer has a great quote, if you're familiar with him, he says, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned the same pitch fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they that could possibly be were, were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Social religion is perfected when private religion is purified. And I, I want to start there because the last thing we want to do is to have a man-made unity. We don't want to just unify for the sake of, well, we got to have to all love each other because Jesus said we have to. So... You know, everybody knows where his disciples might love we act for one another, so even though I hate you and can't stand you, I'm going to act as though I love you, because God somehow will pick up on that and not realize the attention of my heart. So obviously, that's not what we want, right? The Spirit is what enables us to do something that we, as human beings, are incapable of doing. So the only way we can have unity is to allow the Spirit to do it. So when we talk about unity, I'm not saying, alright, let's be unity conscious and try to make this happen, okay? Because, as A.W. Tozer so brilliantly put in a picture, when you're tuning multiple pianos, you don't tune them to each other, you tune them to the standard, the, the pitch fork or pipe, whatever they use. And then, miraculously, all those pianos sound great together, even though they weren't tuned to each other, they were tuned to that outside element, Jesus Christ in this example. So, uh, as Paul goes on, uh, one of the biggest... I guess distractions in people having unity is other people, right? <laughs> it would be great if we got called to serve in the church in a ministry that involved no one else but ourselves. I don't know if those ministries exist. I would be really good at it, though. If you just leave me alone so I can serve God and serve the church by myself, there would be no problems. There would be no arguments. There would be no disagreements. No one would be complaining that the carpet color was the wrong color. Nobody would be saying, I believe that the rapture is going to happen in 20 years. Well, I believe that's going to be in 200 years. Oh, let's start a new church. <laughs> you know, like the things that people get so upset about, it's because of man. It's not because of God. It's not because of what God has intended. Um, so when we get sidetracked like that, we end up missing out on what God has intended for us. In Ephesians, he talked about how we're no longer identified with uh, the things that we do, we're no longer identified by the work of our hands. We talked about that uh, a few weeks ago when I shared. And we're also not our nationality. The fact that we're Americans, that's not our identity. We are Christ followers, and we find our unity in Christ. Um, so as we continue on, he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Or, I've heard people say, in y'all. <laughs> um, 
Pat, if we can put the first verse up there, I think it's the first John. When we look at this uh, series, as you want to call it, whatever, uh, this is kind of like the take back, or the, the verse that I'm going to be referring back to. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So when we look at the Christian walk, that's such a cliche anymore, isn't it? People say, like, well, how's your walk, brother? Or, yeah, I'm, I'm just walking the walk, you know? Heart, I trip and stumble, but hey, well, we're gonna we're gonna take that phrase back, and we're gonna make it mean something again, rather than just be a Christian cliche that we use. To walk is to walk as Jesus walked. He gave us the example. He doesn't ask us to do anything that he didn't first do. When he said, "Take up your cross and follow me," he hadn't died on the cross yet, and his and his disciples didn't know he was going to die on the cross because they weren't listening. But he said, take up your cross and follow me. And they're probably like, what? That doesn't make any sense. But what did he do? He then took up his own cross and died. He, he, his life ended so that he could be raised again to eternal life and to have full, abundant life that he would offer to us. So that's what we're going to look at in these next three weeks, is that Jesus wants us to walk the way he walked. And the good news is, is that we can't do it. It's not for us to do. He said... No, I'm going to do it. If you remember in Ephesians 2, he says, um, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So the path is already laid out that we have to walk in, right? So it's pretty easy. We just have to yield. The Spirit of God is in us. And if, we, if you read Ephesians 1-3, through 3, we know everything that is at God's right hand is given to us. Everything we could ever need. We have it. The moment we put our faith in Jesus, all the riches of His glory are given to us. The problem is, is we don't think of it that way. We think, oh, i got to do a bunch of stuff so I can gain access to all these good things that God is holding back here. Like, apparently. If you do this, then you can have this. I do that all the time. I start uh, bribing my children for good behavior. God doesn't do that. He says, here's all the good stuff. Now, walk in good behavior. It's backwards from the world's eyes. Um, and while we look at this, it's important to note that even though God wants us to be unified, He doesn't want us to be uniform. And what I mean by that is, just because we find our, we all find our identity in Christ, and we're no longer Jews or Gentiles or uh, Italians or Germans or uh, Protestants or Presbyterians or whatever you want to call it, we don't. Those things are not our identity anymore. It's Jesus Christ. He doesn't want us to be clones. He celebrates diversity, and we're going to talk about that with the various spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit provides us in Ephesians three ten. He says, he refers to the manifold wisdom of God. And in 1 Peter 4.10, he refers to the manifold grace of God. The word manifold in the Greek means of various colors. And in uh, 1 Peter 4, if you can pull up that verse, Pat, uh, he speaks of how God has given everyone specific gifts. It says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So not God's grace that is the gift. He said it's, it's not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. We can say by grace. 
that grace has many colors. It's like a diamond. When you hit the light hits it, it refracts and reflects and does all these different things. It's the same diamond, but you can look at it and see all these different colors in the spectrum. That's what God's grace is like. So he can give one person an incredible gift of sitting and listening to someone and encouraging them and just being there for them. Other people, he gives this insane gift to just organize everything and just be on top of everything. There are different gifts, and we'll look at them briefly, um, because I want to encourage you to allow the Spirit to work and reveal the gift that God has given you. Because anybody who says that they don't have a gift, I don't know what my gift is, it's not because God hasn't already given it to you. We need to allow Him to reveal what it is to us. And then going on, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. You see that, that common refrain is, it's not your ability. It's what God has given to you. That in all things, God may be glorified. And there's the reason we get the gift. Not only does God do it for us, but we then say, obviously, I, there was no way I could have done this, so God gets all the glory for He may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Uh, if you could go back to a verse, I think it was uh, Colossians, I forgot to read this one. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, how did we receive him in Ephesians 2? What did that say? Did we work to get Jesus? Did we say, let me lay hold of Jesus before he gets away? We receive, how do we receive Christ? Faith. By faith, right? As you therefore have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him. So, is it something that we are doing? Is it a works-based thing that we're going to walk and we're going to work out this unity and, and allow God to work through us? No, we, we walk by faith, right? The just shall live by faith. It's something that we put our trust in that Jesus has already accomplished for us. The unity of the Spirit is the same thing. He's already accomplished the unification of his body. And we're going to take a look at that. It says, rooted and built up in, in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Uh, so as we move on, he says uh, in verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Your, your translation might say to the lower parts of the earth. And some people try to say that that means that Jesus went down into hell after he got us. That's not really accurate based on the context of what he's saying. He's saying, if he is ascending back to heaven, he must have first descended to earth. And because Christ did that, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to just to take a quick look. Jesus, when he died on the cross, if you recall, the very last thing he said was, Father, into your hands I commit my what? Spirit. Spirit. Good. <laughs> so in a sense, Jesus' spirit left his body, which is crazy to think about. Like, how is God on the cross giving up the spirit? It's just unfathomable. Unfathomable. Like that word is unpronounceable. <laughs> um, and immediately after Jesus gave up his spirit, you know what happened? The veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. The thing that man had made to contain God, we didn't need that anymore. We didn't need the ritual and the religion anymore to gain access to God because 
Hebrews says, and it's a brilliant verse, Hebrews 9, uh, 24, Kat, if you could put that one up. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. And just a quick, I'll pause for a second. A lot of times we think about the temple, and we're like, oh, okay, like, God gave Moses this design, and then it got passed down, and Solomon built the temple, and Herod built the temple, and this and that. And there's all these chapters in the Bible about the blue cords, and the ribbons, and the fabric, and the wool, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so boring. The temple was given to Moses, the description of the temple, as a copy of something that's happening in the eternity. That the holy place of God in eternity, the temple was a copy of that. And that's what he's saying here. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. That's what Jesus did when he was on the cross. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. Next verse. Um, verse 26. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. And we know that it says the Lamb of God was slain from before the foundation of the world. One time. But now, once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. It's a great verse. The book of Hebrews is ridiculous. If you want to read it, I encourage you to do it. But I would also encourage you to read the Old Testament. Be familiar with the Old Testament first. It'll really come to life. When that happened, and the, the Christ's flesh was torn, and actually there's a verse in Hebrews that talks about the fact that the veil was his flesh. He's like, why are we talking about this? And I'll tell you in a second. <laughs> the Father then reunited the Spirit of Christ with the body of Christ, and by that power Christ was raised to life. The Spirit of God rose Christ from the grave and conquered sin and death, and then that eternal life that Jesus offers to us is by his spirit. And it says in Romans 8, 11, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's a great verse. It's the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead as the spirit that he's given to us and is living in us right now. We think about that every day. When I wake up in the morning, I need to put it on my seal. Say, the Spirit of God is inside of me right now. He is able to make you... He is able to make you live and walk as Christ walked. You can't do it. But the Spirit of God is in you to do it. Just like He is in every other believer in Jesus. So if that's the Spirit that we all share, why do people have problems in the church? Why is there dissension and dispute it doesn't make any sense. And what's interesting as we continue on, while Jesus was walking the earth, we talk about he descended. It says in Ephesians 4, he descended to the earth. And then when he ascended, he was able to give gifts to men. He, uh, when he was walking the earth, his spirit had not yet been given to his believers. I think we might, we kind of forget the timelines. We think like, as soon as people started following Jesus, they had the Holy Spirit in, and they were, they were just like us. But they weren't, actually. They weren't just like us. In that they didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them like we did. In John 7, it said, when, when Jesus is at the feast and he stands up and gives that great declaration, anyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. We love that. We're like, yeah, Jesus is the living water. I can come to him because my, my soul thirsts and he can satisfy that thirst. 
And John adds this little editorial comment, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So, something happened when Jesus ascended that made it, now that we have the gift of the Spirit available to us. It hadn't previously been available. He had to first descend, walk this earth, so that we could have an example of how we ought to walk. And then he died, rose again, and ascended. And once he ascended, we have access to the Holy Spirit. And the disciples were really upset when Jesus was talking about going back. Or like, I'm leaving and you can't follow me. And they're like, it's many sense. Why would you say that? That's so hurtful. We don't know what to do. We just gave up everything to follow you. And now you're saying you're going somewhere we can't come? What a bummer. But Jesus says in John 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit. When Jesus was going away, ascending to the Father, he was going to give the Spirit that was in him, that he yielded to the Father, and then reclaimed when he conquered sin and death, he then bestows it to all believers. In Acts 2, we see, or, uh, I'm sorry, at the end of John, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Stay here in Acts, to stay here until you get the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we, we looked at that before when we were in Acts, about how the Spirit of Christ was sent to earth to fill the body of Christ, which is the church. So there was a reunion there. He had yielded the Spirit on the cross to the Father. He claimed it again, and then he was giving it to his body of Christ that was going to stay on the earth, which is us. So when you think of it in those terms, who are we to ever be at odds with believers? It's hard enough to get through this life and to find you know, some sense of peace with, with people. But it shouldn't be a man-made striving like, oh, i got to have to put up with this person because they're a Christian and I'm supposed to love them, even though I don't like them. It's the Spirit of God inside us. Think about it. Like, how many of us are here, and apart from Jesus, we would never associate with each other, ever. There's nothing about us that's common, except for Jesus. I can point out to a lot of you, I don't want you to be offended by her, but you're like, you wouldn't be my friend if we weren't Christians? Probably not. Because our past was the cross. We are walking in the same direction. We're walking as she walked. And you're like, oh, hey, what's up? You're going the same direction? Cool, let's go. You know, it's, it's the unity that comes from the Spirit of Christ. It's really exciting when we think of it that way. Um, so when dissensions arise, and we're a new church, we don't really think about strife and stuff because everybody's excited about this new thing that's happening. But if you look at any church in, across the timeline of history, there are problems that arise. And the problems arise not because people are yielding themselves more and more to Jesus. On the contrary, it's because they're pursuing their own best interests rather than what's best for the whole body of Christ. It's like a tree that's been attacked with rotten termites from within. And even when the damage is not evident on the outside, all it takes is a strong wind for the entire tree to be uprooted. That's why we need Jesus to be what we're resting in and our foundation. Um, the scary thing <laughs> is that as he goes on, he says, um, well, this isn't a scary thing, but he gets to a scary part. <laughs> uh, in verse 11, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. 
until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And this is a run-on sentence from Paul, as usual. But there's so much in here, I couldn't even begin in the time allotted to, to un uncover it all. But what's interesting is the word unity only appears twice in the New Testament. And it's in this chapter right here. And he says the unity of the Spirit and the unity of faith. I just find that really interesting. That I would even think unity has got such a Christian vibe to it. It would be all over the Bible, right? It's in the Old Testament twice. It's a Hebrew word, obviously. But in the New Testament, the Greek word, it's only used twice, and it's used here. The gifts that he spoke of that Christ made available, apostles, prophets, and that is speaking more so in the uh, back in chapter 2, he talked about how the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, they were responsible and gifted to establish the church. Um, we don't really see apostles anymore, people that call themselves apostles. I, I don't know, I'm not really comfortable with that. <laughs> I feel like that's a God title, it's not a man title. So, um, if you want to take the name apostle for yourself, then have that, I guess. Um, shepherds and teachers, evangelists, we see evangelists like Greg Laurie and Billy Graham, and those guys that are just amazing with preaching the gospel, and drawing people to Christ. And then shepherds and teachers are the pastors, people that teach the word, and feed the flock, as it were. And those things are so important, because, as he goes on, he says, you should, you know, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Ooh, Scary. The purpose of the spiritual gifts that God gives to everyone is to build each other up, to build the church. It's not, I have this skill set, and I'm going to bring it to the church as a businessman and make the church work. It's God, you yielding yourself to the Spirit of God, and by doing so, we get knit together. He's made us all different. He's given us all different gifts. Some people have the gift of evangelism. Some people have the gift of teaching. Some people have uh, the gift of helps or the gift of uh, faith. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But um, the world, and we hear it all the time, coexist. You see those bumper stickers where it's got the uh, the moon and the, the Jewish star and the star of David and the cross of Jesus and stuff. It's just everybody's on this kick about coexisting. It's, it's really nice. The problem with that is, is that what they're preaching is not unity, they're preaching conformity. And they're preaching uniformity. Nobody has differences. Everybody's the same, so let's just all be happy. And kumbaya, imagine John Lennon, no religion, you know, no heaven, no hell, everything's fine. The problem with that is that when everybody is on the same level, then everybody's in the same state, and no one's accountable to anyone. It's actually really interesting because... <laughs> There's a, there's a line in the movie, The Incredibles, which I love. It's like one of my favorite movies. It's a Disney movie, but it's great. Uh, and the villain, not to spoil it for you, he's not a superhero, right? He doesn't have these superpowers that are bestowed on him. So he goes and makes all these machines and tools to make him a superhero. But it's all the work of his own hands. And he's trying to systematically destroy all the real superheroes and make his inventions available to the public, so everybody can be a superhero. And he has Mr. Incredible, like at the, you know, really tense moment, he says, 
um, you know, what, what's everybody's secret that no one will be? And I just think of that. I'm like, this is what the world wants to do. They want to get everybody on the same level so that no one is striving. Nobody is trying to reach higher. Nobody's trying to live better. Everybody's just happy being in the, in the peak spot. And they say there's a higher calling or a greater good, but there's only one that's good, and it's Jesus, and he's what's inside of us. So I just find that even it creeps into the church here. You know, it's a, it's a counterfeit man-made unity, and that's not what God wants from us. It's, it's not achieved by ignoring differences and convincing us that we're all the same. Our differences, especially as Christians, are engineered within us by the hand of a multifaceted, creative God for the betterment, the improvement of the body of Christ as a whole. So why would we want to ignore those differences? If you had a puzzle and every piece was a square, and you tried to pick up that puzzle after you completed it, what would happen? There would be nothing connected. Every puzzle piece is uniquely shaped so that it would fit together. And that's the, the image that he gives as he goes on. He says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are knit together. We are fashioned together by the Spirit, not by what we do. Because of these differences that we have, whether personalities, whether skills, whether interests, because they're from God, the only way that we can achieve, achieve true unity is by yielding our lives to the great designer of those differences. His Spirit will reveal our differences and teach us to love and celebrate them. Not love in spite of them, which is what the world's philosophy is. Like, yeah, you're really weird and different, but I have to love you. No, it's, you're different because God made you that way, and I love that. Because when I look at you, I see God's handiwork. I see His fingerprints all over you. That is a love that comes supernaturally. It's not a love that we can create. But it's so important for, for Jesus to build his church that way. Because it's his spirit. Um, and when we talk about growth, church growth, I'm not talking about packing in the building. Because that, that can be done a variety of ways. It can be done by selling stuff. It can be done by uh, watering down the gospel or creating like a Christian singles night or whatever. <laughs> to get people in the doors, it's really easy. But church growth is what the Bible calls growth. Digging deep, laying a foundation, allowing the Spirit to knit us all together with the gifts that we have. And building this up so that when those waves come, and they will come, and toss us to and fro, we're not getting knocked down. We're being built and we're founded on the foundation of Christ, as we say, um, tonight. Um, so, if we are all a part of his body, just like any human body, each part is different for a reason. It has its own role to perform. So how do you know which role you have? How do you know which role you have in common fellowship plans? I don't I can't tell you that, but I can tell you there are several uh, passages of scripture that talk about the uh, the gifts of the spirit and those types of things. Uh, in Romans twelve, I think I already read. Romans 12, 4 through 8, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. 
So we being many are one body in Christ and eventually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministry. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. There are all these different gifts. If you want to look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, I encourage you to read that when you go home or tomorrow. We like 1 Corinthians 13 because it sounds good at weddings and stuff, but you'd be surprised that the context of that talking about love has to do with spiritual gifts. It doesn't have to do with a guy and girl that are in love. I, I apologize to everybody who's planning on using those passages at their wedding or whatever. But uh, he says, you all desire spiritual gifts. But there's actually a more excellent way, and it's the way of love. That's why he says, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I am like a clanging symbol. It has to do with the building up of the church in love. I'm just going to briefly turn to 1 Corinthians 12 and highlight a, quick, uh, a few points. Because I find it really cool when you look at it this way. This is one of those passages of scripture that you can't stop reading. You have to keep going because it just, the whole point is sprawled out over three chapters. I think sometimes we do ourselves a disservice when we're reading by going by what the Bible, what, what the individual Bible you have, how they break it up. Um, because I, don't, I think you kind of lose out on some of the intent if you're not reading it all in its context. But it says in First uh, Corinthians 12, if you turn there, I, uh, you can follow along verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts of the same spirit. There are varieties of service of the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each it is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge. And he goes on and lists all these different gifts. We are, I don't want to exhaust them because we can take time looking at each one. But in verse 11 he says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Not as we will. I really want to get the feeling today, so bam! I really want to have the gift of... Teaching. So I'm just going to get up and start teaching and hope it comes out. I don't know. Sorry. It's what the Spirit desires to give to us. And that's why we need to be yielding to it. It can't be something that we are striving for. And in verse 12 he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And then he goes through this whole image that you guys are probably familiar with. And he says, uh, you know, can the eye say, I, I don't know what to do. I'll just read a little bit of it. It's really funny. Uh, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. And then he goes on and says, what if the eye said to the hand, I have no need of you? Nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So, you might think that oh, I don't have anything to offer. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Everything seems to be running smoothly, so I'll just sit and watch. Can I assure you that things do not run smoothly? <laughs> it just looks that way because the Spirit of God is here. <laughs> um, but you might want to consider which part of the body are you? Some, some of you might need the eye. You might have this ability to have vision. You can look down the road and say, you know what? I think we should do this. I remember Larry saying, like, uh, when we were meeting, like, we should have a Christmas Day dinner. 
And I was like a month and a half. And we're like, okay, we don't have a church yet, but we'll see. And guess what? It happened. It wasn't because we all got together and made it happen. It was because everything fell into place because the Holy Spirit was doing it. And he brought people that had gifts and individual pieces of that puzzle together and united us. People are like, oh, I don't know where we're going to get the food. Oh, here's Ben. He happens to be a chef and has all these connections, and they're going to give us all the food for free. I'm sure when Ben was learning how to cook, he wasn't thinking, in 2013, I'm going to provide a meal for Calvary Fellowship Lansdale, Right? We do things, and we, we have natural interests, and we, we pursue things, and we have desires, and all of those are orchestrated by God. And when we yield to that, we say, you know what? Okay, God, it doesn't look Christian what I do, but I'm going to yield it to you and use it, whatever it is. Whether you're a musician, and you've just been sitting, I mean, I sang in bars and all that stuff, and it's like, well, God, I, I don't want to just sing for unbelievers, I want to sing for believers. Well, come and sing, you know, like, or I really like kids, and I work, you know, I, I work a dead-end job, and I hate it, but I, but I really feel like drawn to teaching and helping kids, and, and I have a heart for the lost, and those sorts of things. All of those things are put in you by God. Some of you might have a supernatural love for people, you look at them, you just see them with Christ's eyes, and like, love that person. That's a gift. That's, that's something that the Spirit has given you. You could be the heart in the body of Christ, just like that other person with the eye. Um, on the other hand, I, I consider myself the mouth of the body of Christ. Uh, and loud mouth is more appropriate most of the time when I'm working in my own strength. But uh, I love to talk, and I love to talk about God. If you start talking about the church and talking about God, I would talk for hours. Because it get, the spirit within me gets stirred up. If you feel dead and like, ugh, I just feel, ugh, start talking about the spirit. Start talking about Jesus, and you'll be amazed. All of a sudden, all your problems just don't matter anymore. And then you're like, what are you talking? Because this feels good. I like this. <laughs> you might be sitting here and think, well, guess what, Jeff? I'm the tonsils in the body of Christ. You don't even need me. You can just cut them out. No. The tonsils have a purpose. I don't know what they are, but they have a purpose. Or you're like, I'm the appendix. I just cause problems and people just get kick me out of the church. And then you're happier. Or they put me in a jar and they bring me over weirdness, stuff like that. Um, you have a purpose that God has given for you to exercise. And may I propose that if you don't want to recognize the gift that is in you, that you could be hindering what God is intending to do to build up the body of Christ. And that's a challenge. It really is. Paul said to Timothy, don't neglect the gift that is in you. That was given to you by the laying on of the hands of the elders. You know, I guess it's first Timothy 4, he's like, don't let anyone despise you because you're young. You have a gift that's been given to you by God. Use it. And you'd be amazed how all of a sudden all these things start to fit together and all these pieces start to come together. And this isn't a Let's recruit people to work in the church tonight. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about what Jesus wanted for us all along. In John 17, 11, he says, when you think about it, we talk about the Spirit came because Jesus went away, right? And this is the high priestly prayer, as it's called. It should be called the Lord's Prayer because this is actually his prayer to God before he would go out and get 70. Now I am no longer in the world. 
these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those who do it to me. And that last part just astounds me. That they may be one as we are. This is Jesus, the Son of God, talking to God the Father, saying, I want the people you've given me, my disciples, my followers, to be one as you and I, Father, are one. And I'm going to go on. I'm going to, you can turn to John 17. We'll kind of wrap up here. Verse 20. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you in the Bible? You guys know that? He prayed for you and he prayed for me. In verse 20 it says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. That's what we have, right? The apostles, Paul, Peter, John. We have this word because of their testimony. We read this. Someone shared with us the gospel. We believe because of their word. And Jesus prayed for us. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. When he says you, they will know you're my disciples by the love you have one for another, he's saying, people will look at you and say, there is no way that that group of people would sit together in unified faith, in a unified spirit, if not for some supernatural occurrence. And we know what that supernatural occurrence was. It was Jesus dying and raising from the dead and giving us his spirit to live inside of us. That's how we can sit together and pray and laugh and, and fellowship with one another and have common goals and desires to work in the church and to do these things. And he says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me. So think about that. Jesus is inside of us and the Father is inside Jesus. This is weird. It's like some type of a Christian Russian Mexican guy. I'm sorry, I don't know if that was <laughs> I and them that they may be sorry, I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Unity in the body of Christ is what his Jesus' desire is. And it's attainable, it's achievable. Um, and I would encourage you. Uh, I'm just going to read this. This is a Grace Ben that is a pastor, or he, he passed away. He, he went to glory, but uh, he's one of the greatest Bible teachers I've ever heard because he somehow he's up here, like thinking about the Bible, and then all of a sudden he's like right in your face and explains it in the most simplistic way. It's awesome. But I have this book. It's, it's called Adventuring Through the Bible, and. Uh, it's written to basically take a 30,000 foot look at the entire entire of scripture and how it all ties together. It's pretty awesome. Um, this is what he talks about in the book, uh, for the book of Ephesians. He says, Most of us have a tendency to think of the church as something we go to, something we attend, something separate from us that we give a donation to. But Paul, in this powerful letter to the Ephesians, wants us to understand that we are the church, and the church is us. Every once in a while, when I was in the pastorate, someone would come to me and say, the church ought to do such and such. And you've probably heard that. I would reply, well, you are the church, go do it. 
the person would always look at me with a bit of astonishment and then say, okay, I will. When someone would say the church ought to be more friendly, I would say, all right, you and I are the church, let's be more friendly. When someone would say the church needs to do more to reach out to the community, I would say, all right, you and I are the church, let's think of some things we can do to have more effective ministry in the community. Invariably, that thought struck people as a breakthrough, a revelation, and it changed the way people live their lives as members of the body of Christ. The church is people. Every believer is a member of the body of Christ, the church. So I would prefer to go through this letter, and you guys can do this when you're reading Ephesians, using the word church interchangeably with the word Christian. Because every believer is a small replica of the whole church. If we understand that God lives within the church, then we must acknowledge that he also lives within each believer. Each one of us as a believer in Jesus Christ is a microcosm of the whole body. We can, therefore, go through this whole epistle relating what Paul says not to the church in some institutional sense, but to each one of us as individual believers. That's pretty astounding to me. And it's a good reminder for me. I, this is where I feel like God has had me for months. You are the church. You have everything at your disposal as we as you read in Ephesians 1 3. Now, walk as he walked. There was not a wasted moment in Jesus' life. What is it that God has given to you to do? Do it with all of your heart and do it to the glory of God, for the edification of the church, for the building up of other believers, and to reach out to the lost. Uh, we're going to continue on next week in Ephesians 4 and look at walking in newness of life. Um, but I encourage you this week to think about that. Let's walk as Jesus walked. I'll just read again 1 John 2, 6. He who says he abides in him, on himself also to walk this is evil.